Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management Bi-Weekly Geopolitical Report for January 29th, 2024. I'm Phil Adler. The creation of the U.S. Space Force in 2019 did not come out of the blue, but recognized a new reality. Daniel Ortworth of Confluence Investment Management joins us today to argue that investors should pay attention. Daniel, in your written report this week, you compare the creation of the U.S. Space Force with the birth of the U.S. Air Force. What are key similarities between these two branches of the armed forces? Phil, I'm glad you asked because the similarity is important to how the U.S. military as a whole approaches its mission. In both of these cases, we are talking about a new emerging technology that enables a new military capability. In the first case, the ability to fly, and in the second case, the ability to go into space. Also, in both cases, the new capability began as an old capability going into a new dimension. With flying, the Army and Navy suddenly had the ability to put eyes, bullets, and bombs over the battlefield, not just on it. Eventually, we discovered more and more ways to use air power, and those ways transcended just directly helping the forces on the ground or the surface of the ocean. This discovery naturally led to independence as the way to ensure that we are maximizing air power's unique capabilities to contribute to the fight. Well, now we've found ourselves following the same pattern with space power. It started with air forces going beyond the limits of the atmosphere and the normal pull of gravity. But the more we went into space, the more we discovered what we can do there. Technology led to the first generation space capability, and that led to follow-on capabilities that do more than just extend air power into a new dimension. Again, independence is key to unlocking the full potential of space power. Ultimately, it really does come back to how the U.S. military approaches its mission. Each branch of the surface has its unique set of distinctive capabilities. Each branch develops its unique capabilities based on its own budget, its own command structure, and its own self-knowledge. Finally, all of the branches come together to form one unified fighting force. Air and space each began as extensions of another branch's capabilities, but naturally grew into its own operational identity. Well, the average citizen might equate the goals of a space force with carrying human beings to moons and planets, and also all of those fictional Star Wars scenarios come to mind. What, in fact, are its responsibilities? Well, the Space Force performs a long and growing list of essential tasks that make it possible for our entire military to do what it does. Not just for example, the Space Force provides exact location of friendly forces to higher headquarters, visibility of the locations and movements of enemy forces, exact targeting information, precise navigation for friendly forces, and global communications across the entire defense networks. In these and many other ways, some of which are classified, the Space Force has become a critical enabler of vital functions for the entire force, and it does so every day. Now, in a world that's dividing into separate military and political blocks, we might expect that our major adversaries have similar military aims related to space. Do they? 
Oh, you bet they do. Both China and Russia have well-developed military space programs, including independent space forces. Many of the very same capabilities that our space forces provide, such as GPS, they also provide with their own satellites and systems. They are doing everything they can with major investments of resources to replicate or exceed what we have. As though this weren't alarming enough, both China and Russia are working hard on developing weapons designed to destroy U.S. space assets, and some of those weapons have already been successfully tested. The threat is real. Now, I should also mention that China and Russia are not the only concerns. Iran and North Korea also have military space programs. They're far less developed, but they are making progress. Even some countries not specifically aligned against the U.S., such as India, are also making progress in space. One way or another, the competition is intense and broadening as the list of competitors grows. Well, how do broad U.S. military space capabilities compare to those of other countries? Generally speaking, the U.S. remains far ahead of the competition, but the gap is shrinking at an alarming rate, and in some cases, the gap has disappeared. As a classic example, both China and Russia now have their own fully complete and functional navigation systems like our GPS. So, for the positioning and navigation capabilities that GPS provides, there really is no gap anymore. Now, the one area in which, to the best of our knowledge, the competition may have already passed the U.S. is offensive capabilities in space. Phil, we need to clarify something here. There is plenty of classified work happening in the U.S. Space Force that I am grateful to say I do not know. It's very much in our best interest that we do not know these things, but we do know that both the Russians and the Chinese have demonstrated their ability to destroy a satellite in space. If the U.S. has this capability today, it remains behind the veil of secrecy. Daniel, you mentioned how the U.S. Space Force has its own budget now. I'd like to go into this a little bit further. How does the creation of a separate U.S. Space Force with its own budget boost the potential for more funding in this area? Phil, I'm really glad you asked. That's an extremely important point. First of all, it simply draws more attention to the subject of space-based military force in Congress and the voting public. These needs, these threats, the urgency of it all, it gains significantly more airtime now, and that kind of thing really is vital to gaining funding. But that's not the whole story. Whenever a new capability comes online within a traditional branch of the surface, we really saw this with air power in the years after World War II, and we were starting to see it in recent years with space power, the services always prioritize the traditional assets and programs over the new stuff. The Air Force cares more about planes, the Navy about ships, etc. If there's plenty of money to go around, that's not such a big deal. However, if money is scarce, as it has been for a long time now and probably will remain, that means the cuts would happen in space assets first. You know, cut the satellites in order to keep the planes flowing off the production line. Well, not anymore. With the establishment of the Space Force, this whole area of effort has its own budget, its own direct representation before Congress. Daniel, can we identify any innovations that are already occurring because of this recent emphasis on military capabilities in space? Well, again, most of these things remain behind the veil of secrecy, but we do know about some innovations, and I can provide an example or two. Up until now, we have thought about satellites as occupying a fixed position or 
orbit in space, launch them, get them where they need to be, and that's it. The problem is that satellites that stay put in one place or orbit present easy targets to the enemy. Now the Space Force is developing this new concept of operations called Dynamic Space Operations, or DSO. The idea is to build new satellites with the ability to maneuver in space to protect themselves. In the old days, we didn't do that because a maneuverable satellite requires engines and fuel tanks, and that's really heavy, especially the fuel. Increasing weight extremely increases the cost to launch the satellite, among other complications. Well, that leads to the second innovation. Our audience might know already that the U.S. military's air assets in both the Air Force and the Navy conduct aerial refueling as a regular part of what they do. The military has literally hundreds of aircraft that are military versions of airliners that are specially equipped to function as flying gas stations. Fighters and bombers routinely go to these refueling aircraft mid-flight to get more gas and get back to the fight. It is a serious advantage, and we do it as routinely as we take off and land. Well, now we're developing the operating concept of, get this, celestial refueling. That means having special satellites in place and on orbit that function as gas stations in space for our satellites. How is that for finding a new and difference-making application of an existing concept? Daniel, military budgets have always benefited huge private companies that specialize in weaponry. Do you see any difference this time around? Yeah, Phil, I do. The big established defense contractors already play an important role in space, but some of the technologies involved in this new push to expand our military space-based capabilities are pretty cutting-edge stuff. That part of the development spectrum really leans in the direction of high-tech things, computing, networking, 3D printing, really a list of innovative new things that favors startups and younger companies that aren't necessarily defense-focused. The Department of Defense seems to understand this too, because it has established new offices and programs to engage industry outside of the traditional scope. Over time, we expect this opportunity to be broader than in the past. I'll tell you, Phil, it reminds me of everything I've studied about the birth of the aviation industry a hundred years ago, when household names such as Boeing, Lockheed, and Northrop were startups themselves. So do you see private contractors like, for instance, SpaceX growing in importance? I certainly do. If nothing else, the sense of urgency in the defense community is just too strong for any stone to be left unturned. To meet the emerging need, there needs to be a whole nation approach to building this new space force. Companies such as SpaceX will have their opportunity to compete just like anybody else. Basically, Daniel, how should investors approach this opportunity? We should start by recognizing how the national decision to establish an independent space force fits the pattern we have been observing for quite a while and that we at Confluence have been emphasizing in our broader investment stance. The world is becoming a more dangerous place. Conflict is on the rise and the investment landscape is becoming more risky. With this theme in mind, we have been highlighting what we view as a long-term opportunity in the defense sector specifically and in related industrials more broadly. The Space Force is really a sign of the times, Phil. Now, we also think that over time, other opportunities in technologies, particularly suited to space applications, will emerge. We are diligently scanning the landscape for those opportunities, and we will communicate them to our investors as we discover them.
Thank you, Daniel. Our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. Opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. Also, this information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our audio engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Adler.